0: You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am.
1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Perth Property Show. I'm Trent Flaskins, your host. As always, we've got Adrian Johnson back in the room to chat about those costs and risks and uh, everything on the mistake side, I guess, of, of development. It's really easy to focus on profit and opportunity in property investment. That's what we, we're all optimistic people. But it's way more important to focus on mitigating the risks. If you can jump over those hurdles, you'll actually get to that profit. Adrian, thanks for coming in.
2: Morning, Trent. Morning, everyone. Thanks for having me back.
1: Costs and risks. <laughs> Where <laughs> do we start? you see me sweating? I'm nervous already. <laughs> I think we need to start with just being probably as explanatory as possible about the cost structures of a build contract. Yeah. How that builds out not just the widgets, you know, the taps and the bench tops and things, but the site costs, all that. That's Let's break break down line. a contract quote for us and what yeah. it will look like.
2: So probably the biggest issue with developments, um, you know, it's obviously a normal uh, home is hard enough like you said to, to break it all down and Sitewex is probably the, the hairy one that everyone gets confused with and sort of scratches his head and how could you be that and why is it not already in the home um, I guess the reason being is every single block's different until you see it. You can't quote on it; it makes it pretty uh, hard. But development's even harder because obviously you've got one, you've got the site cost, but two, you've got civil costs. So you know, all of a sudden you start looking and saying, "Well, okay, we need to knock down the home. Great. Well, there's twenty, thirty thousand dollars depending on what's required. Okay. Then basically we need to add new water meters. Then you've got to upgrade your power dome. Then you've got to have a power pole and box, which is like an adapter because you know you've gone from one to. Three, four, five, however many it is. So you've got all those costs. Then you've got your government costs. Yeah, you've got to cut into the junction of the sewer, you know, feed that through, increase that size as well because of the volume that's going to be going through there. Same with the water. You know, you can't run on that little standard water meter. You need to increase that size pipe to be able to cope with the volume to get through. Drainage. Yep, drainage, soak wells. Tell you what, that's an expensive uh, thing, isn't it? Yeah, do you know what the funny thing is that back in, so we go back to the old uh, I've been around for a while but back in my day no one ever did so-calls no one's required to do so wasn't a requirement was it no you chuck- straight the, most, to the drain most, no, the most clients would chuck a tile underneath the uh, the drain pipe and watch their garden bit dragged away and then they'd go oh bugger I better go to Bunnings and sort this out yeah. but I mean you know, half the time then they'd because uh, you know, blocks weren't really building and they'd build, put the so-calls underneath their neighbour's block you know and go oh that they sort oh, out that but it
1: was it as dense a build back in those days
2: was it and that's the key so the problem is that there's a couple things one is the councils obviously realize that when you get water and if all the water from the units gets dumped onto the driveway and the driveway slopes down onto the road and that road has to cope with all that extra drainage and water their drains start blocking up also the water running on the bitumen starts wrecking it damage so they've realized it costs them money so now they've basically put that back and the liability back onto the owner of the block and sort of said, no, no, any water that comes down, like rain... From the roof? You, yeah, yep. you need to contain that and resolve it. So, And the other issue is that, let you know, back in the day when you'd have a 700,000-square-metre block and you'd have this little three-by-one... You had that much land that the water soaked away, it wasn't an issue. Now you're turning around and saying, Well, like prime example, the home's not that big much bigger. No, but you got four of them. Let's yeah. say oh, you got, got six
1: hundred square meters of roof yeah. on seven hundred square meters of land.
2: Yeah. You know, let's take a typical seven, twenty square meter lot that you put three homes on and you do 180 square metres of paving because you've got 120 for your driveway, turn around circle 36, mm. each... Year, Not a lot of soil left, is No, there? each courtyard, you know, because everyone wants our fresco courtyard. So there's no grass, there's no soil. So there's nowhere for that water to drain off, and you're basically, that entire lot is catching and collecting the water. So the council now sort of says, yeah, every single home needs to have the soak wells, the driveway needs to have all the soak wells, and all that water needs to be How much does that contained? number normally look like for a triplex, for example? So it varies significantly. So if you're along the beach, so if you're in the typical areas, you know, let's say from Yanchip to Mandra, you know, your beach, then you could probably look at fifteen grand. Is that a, a because typical, of the soil type? Typical triple, yeah, you know, triple X site. Yeah, exactly. Because the soil beach sand, also, obviously just Very drains. Porous. Yeah, yep. porous and just drains away. As soon as you start heading um, inland, you know, you hit areas like Beckenham, Cannington. We can be looking at thirty to forty thousand dollars because it's um, clay. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've had a quad site in um, Gosnells, and it was one hundred and ten thousand just for soak Yeah, wow. So the client was looking, going, "The house is cheaper than the soakwells. <laughs> uh, and I was like, "Yeah." And and even then, you know, the, we all get it certified by a, an engineer, yep. and the council can still turn around to us and say, "No, nah, no, nah, we want more." And and the, there was a reason for this, especially in those areas. So basically, in um, Kennington, there was a, a street, and all the the whole street got flooded. All the homes got flooded. And all the residents basically came together and did a class action against the council saying that they were liable, that they should have enforced and been responsible and made the clients aware that they required better so so that that didn't happen. And they won. So of course, all the councils are on the back foot going, well', once bitten twice shy. If you're making it our responsibility, well then we will make it your even, responsibility. Yeah. yeah. And they basically put it back to make it even more intense than required, because obviously they're like, well, yeah, we could do it at this level. But if there's still yeah. a chance, we'll double that again. One in a hundred. Yeah. And, to it's, and it's, not gonna, it's not our problem then, is it? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, retaining? circles is fun. Retaining is always a killer. No one likes it. Uh, developers hate it because it's pretty hard to justify if you're renting or selling to a client saying, Oh, well, it cost me a hundred grand in retaining. They're like can't see it. Well, <laughs> under used the ground. To,
1: people used to use asbestos fences, they're retaining, right?
2: The old long drop, uh, drop sheets, yeah. So I mean, you know, you had the super six, which was a long drop sheet, and uh, council would allow you to hold up 300, so 30 centimeters of your neighbor's boundary on that sheet. Um, obviously, they the Super Six company worked out that they didn't make much money out of that. It was better to go to the cheaper ones, so they got rid of those sheets, which then made the shire turn around and say, "Well, okay, we'll have to change our uh, requirements to 150. So if the level of a, a site changes by 150, 15 centimeters, they require us to retain the whoever has changed those levels. So we can be
1: talking about limestone blocks uh, or oh, concrete panel yep, and posts,
2: brick buildups, using the uh, the house and all the rest of.
1: Brick, and, yeah, brick build up so just the house wall as yep, a retaining yep, wall so yep, if it's on boundary.
2: Yep, you, d- you drop it down and, and sometimes depending on how you know, how much you drop it down and, and build the brickwork up to support it or you might do a cavity fill and drop in concrete to actually support it that way. So yep. going back to our last episode we were mentioning areas like in the, in the northern areas they're a prime example again because of those were all beach blocks and Very all beach sand dunes. Yeah. So and back in the day um, where now you've got your work which is and all these guys, they give you flat, clean, prepared lots, which still get hit with site works and, and everyone scratches their head about, but they still get hit. They're already retained. They're already done. Back in the day, it was up to you. So uh, I can remember when my parents were building in Hillarys and Woodvale and those areas and, and they would go in there and have to work out what they were going to do. Then they'd have to work out if a neighbour's going to be building. The house would be retained. You'd see yeah. the limestone
1: blocks under the house and not, whereas these days, yeah. the block is retained.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, look, the, the blocks under the house was more sort of the 50s um, when they were doing sort of the, the wood floors and things like that. More the other blocks, it, whether they retained or not. But again, back in the day, you know, everyone tries to avoid costs. So that's why a lot of these lots were having issues with developments now because they haven't been retained properly or correctly. And I can remember owning a home 20 years ago in Carina. And looking at the wall at the back, which would have been a good probably two to three metre drop at least, and it was holding up an entire block, and my block back then was like 780 square metres, so decent sized block, and it was a single leaf wall running all the way down, and I was thinking, that's not really looking that great as it was yeah. starting to bow. Yeah. And uh, the neighbour and I were discussing going, ah, yeah, it's been there for a while, and hopefully it'll still keep holding, but yeah. you know, can't do that anymore.
1: So these site costs, for example, what would you say on an on average for a you know a seven hundred square meter block, whether it's a duplex or a triplex, what are we looking at as a total number on top of the cost of the actual houses? Yeah. right. We're adding how much normally, you know, as a look, as a normal sort of confidence interval.
2: As we sort of said, look, it's near impossible until you see it, and it's near impossible to give a, a precise amount. But you know, as a gauge, as a ballpark, like straight out there, that you would think without even having to think you know, for a triplex, you're always going to say 80 to 100 grand yeah. is always required. You're getting no house for that. No. And that's the biggest issue that a lot of times clients will phone up. And you know, I think we discussed it last episode and you said, oh, you, you know, you see these cheap homes advertised saying that, you know, it's 140 grand and building in 26 weeks and come on in and it's wonderful. And of course people think, oh, I'll just grab three of those and yeah. make some money here, this yeah. would be easy. And we get clients phoning up and obviously everyone's nervous and don't really want to divulge too much to you. So they're like, how much is the house price? How much are you going to do it for? And you're like, oh, well, if I could just explain that. Like, no, no, just give me the house. And you're like 130, phone goes down. Yeah. They buy the property, come back to you and say, right, let's build three of those. Uh, you said it was 130, so that's 390. Uh, we should be all good. And and then you come back and say, Well it's actually now five hundred and they yeah. go, Well, where's the hundred and ten? I told you I wanted you one three homes And you're like, well, hang on, you got civil costs. Well, what's civils? Okay, they're all your government fees and charges. Whether you want to build or not, you have to pay those fees to develop the block because you're developing the block, creating from one title to three titles. And as we discussed before, you know your sewer, your headworks, your power, all those things. So that's where your civils. Then you've actually got to do prep the block, like you were saying. So okay, what retaining we're going to require? Okay, yeah. what soils we're going to require? Okay, then we've got to actually physically build the homes, and then you've got to finish them as well. So yeah. that's where your your cost jump and you know, that, if going that's
1: where your pre-feasibility really needs to be uh, coming from experienced yes. heads. You can't just look at these numbers and be you know, ignorance is bliss, right? Yeah, that's the, that's the biggest risk in this game is to not know what you don't know.
2: Feasibilities are so cheap, you know, in comparison. So if you're going to invest a half a million dollars on a property, and you're going to spend invest another half a million dollars plus on the development, so you're a million dollars plus. Why would you not get uh, for a couple of grand get feasibilities done? And get it all professionally quoted and mm-hmm. confirmed rather than you saying, well, I don't really want to waste that money because wasting a million bucks is probably worse than wasting a couple of grand. I, I know personally, if I had a choice of spending a couple of grand and getting the certainty and, and uh, assurance of what it's going to be, and even if it turns around it's a failure... Sensational. Yeah. Well, I've lost a couple of grand, which you've saved lot me a couple as well, of mil, though. You know? and you'll, you'll
1: be able to use those learnings 100%. towards the next pre feasibility or the next, the next property you look at.
2: So, if, when you finally get the one that does win, all those monies that you, all that money you might have wasted on other developments that you thought were crazy and you stuffed up we well, actually made a benefit because now you've got one that is kind It make was applied money. learning yeah yeah you'd yep. rather do that than waste a million bucks and then turn around and say well actually cost me a couple of 100 grand to learn yeah very very true <laughs>
1: and okay so for that normal sort of 700 800 square block Once we've got $100,000 in site works and and government fees. Which everyone loves to hear about. Which everyone loves to hear about, but they're (laughs) real, they exist. What are we probably seeing as costings just to get the rest of the build done?
2: So the actual build's okay. I mean, the build—that's the thing. I guess it's the same as you know when we quote timeframes for people. The actual building of the actual homes quick. It's getting there, and the same with the the actual development. You know, the house prices work out pretty reasonable, pretty cheap. You know, what does a builder
1: normally run on in terms of a margin? What are they targeting across the industry? It's a pretty similar game for every builder. So yeah. It's not like it's a trade secret of no. summits or another companies. No, no.
2: I mean, look. Uh, depends I mean obviously every build is different you're talking about Zorzi and someone like that you, yeah obviously be... their margins would be a lot higher because they <laughs> offer a very specific product yeah, 100% exactly and and so everyone's different so that's the thing you know, your margins and your square meter rates always change and that's the thing everyone always comes in wanting to know a square meter rate and it's near impossible because of the different sizes and developments but you know your margins vary back in the day when things are good you would probably say most builders were trying to work on 20 to 24% margin and And, you know, funny enough, it sounds like that's really good money. But the problem is, by the time you take out insurances, loss, breakages, theft on site, all these things, on average, it works out normally they make about 4%. So that's why they work on such high volume. Because, you know, if you just did one house and you made uh, 24% sensational, you'd all be like, well, great, don't worry about it, we'll go for a surf. But... That's the problem that when you take into account all the issues and dramas and, and everything they're taken on, even to the point of warranty, you take on a, uh, a lifetime structural warranty if you come back in 10 years and need all your roof fixes and all the rest of it. So That's you, on you. Yeah, yeah. it's on yeah. us. And you know you can't just go, well, we'll pull that out of nowhere. So you've got to allow for all that in those costs to cover yourself to be able to keep maintaining. So back well, in the what, good times, What does that three margin push down to
1: these days? Look, against it can the float
2: between 12% to 16%. Yeah, wow. Stipend. So it
1: just demonstrates that for that same house, and probably you're getting a better house now with better trades do you hear the that deep, that deep sigh that, that was the pain <laughs> yeah uh, look that's the industry where a, lot of, a lot of businesses have, have taken haircuts to be able to uh, keep their doors open across the board you're looking at being able to develop that same development now compared to five years ago for probably about 10% cheaper and you should really be expecting that you've got the best traders in the market right now the yeah. most skilled trades being the ones who are hired by the building companies
2: and, and this goes back to when we were talking I think last episode we mentioned on maybe getting cheaper prices and recessions and things like that. so if, if you're down to 12 to 16 and people are still saying well that's a heap of money but if I said to you before we're on 20 to 24 and we're only coming out at 4 none of those theft and issues and change and, yeah. change and, and loss on sight of have changed. So that breaks it down to most of the companies are probably not making anything,
1: which is why... They're just keeping the doors open right Yeah,
2: now. realistically they are. They're just sort of uh, like a duck paddling, you know, keeping afloat. And then they're waiting for when the market to turn and then that's when they can come back and say, okay, great, we'll get the 4% and we get high volume. All of a sudden, no problems. We're all, you know, as the, uh, my wife always tells me, she goes, you're in uh, champagne and razor blades and at the moment you're on razor blades. But champagne will come back sooner or later.
1: Yep, yep. So uh, look, I think what it demonstrates is when you're in a time like this, where the builders are probably as tight as they've ever, ever been, and probably ever could be going probably forward. Probably in thirty years, yeah. You probably want to be sticking, in my opinion, to those builders who have got the track record of being able to stick around, and they've got the can business. Can keep the doors open. They've got, yeah, they can, because what's even worse than feeling like you didn't get the best price is getting halfway through a build and being with a builder who shuts shuts oh. up shop. So I've seen it happen in the boom.
2: Yeah, I've I've had three or four clients that we quoted on and they came back, and this is going back two, three years ago when the, the market was going crazy. Since then, it's calmed down because, you know, the market changed in, uh, you know, midway through 2014, 2015, 2016 was crazy. And that's when I think people were really, really hurting and we were getting a lot of little builders and, and other guys coming in and just quoting crazy amounts. Like, you know, let's rough, quick, silly numbers, but let's say you were looking at a... A duplex for five hundred and fifty grand, all in, everything done, and the, you know the client would come back and say, well, they can do it at four hundred and twenty, and we're thinking it's yes. impossible. And then all of a sudden, I'd see him in nine months' time, and they'd say, oh yeah, that guy took my deposit, took two of my first payments, uh, I got the slab down, I didn't get the bricks up, I still paid him, he's now closed. And what they were doing is like a pyramid you know, scheme. they will basically saying, well, I'll just get these guys in. I'll never touch their home or finish it, but I'll take his money and I'll use it to finish off my other ones, hoping I get through this. And, Mm -hmm. of course, they don't. So then they'd come back and say, oh, it's your lucky day, Adrian. You've got the deal. We're going to come back to you. Problem is, you're saying, well, that's great, but first, we don't want it because... We don't know what that guy's done. You're asking us to give you a lifetime structural guarantee and look after it. We've got to work out what he's done. We could be poor, shoddy workmanship, which then means that's on us. Well, do we have to demolish it and are yeah, from building scratch? Your, yeah, exactly right. It'd so be easy to start from you don't scratch, want to take on that? these issues and problems. It's just not worth it. So that's one, that's a problem. So a lot of builders go, no, don't want it two well you bought at 420 you're not going to get that price it's 550 so even though you've got insurance insurance only unfortunately covers you for that proportion paid out so you got to find another hundred grand plus to get back in mm-hmm. so most of the clients would like devastated because they're like well I probably shouldn't have done it. You're like, yeah. no, if you couldn't afford it at that price, don't take the cheaper price. You're 10 times worse off. So
1: that for me would be probably the biggest risk that I think developers w- should be mitigating and perceiving right mm-hmm. now at this point in time is making sure that if they are an astute developer, they see that it's a good time to start that process, lock down that fixed price build contract, do it with a very established builder. If it's not Summit, it's a building company that's got just as good reputation and yeah. financial backing 100%. so that at least you know that as long as you're happy with the price and the quality you're going to get it's going to be finished
2: it's a pretty good time in the marketplace at the moment because as I sort of said a lot, a lot of those little guys all got wiped out um, a lot of the you know the, the builders that weren't up to scratch have all sort of been moved on and it's also like and we were the, saying, trades the trades well. exactly yeah. you know back in the boom you know you'd have an Irish guy roll up and say oh I'm a bricklayer, and have you ever laid bricks no but I'll lay them you know pay me two dollars a brick and off we'd go those guys aren't around anymore you know if, if he is then he's a good bricklayer. He's still around. You know, the guys that just decided to put their hand up to try and make the most of the marketplace have been and gone because there is no marketplace. And that's the same with most of the builders that are around at the moment. You know, as we discussed, there's a few builders, there's probably three or four that are large builders and have been bought out and have been backed now. So we're in a pretty good place that I think most of the players that um, deserve to be here are here and should be running forward. So For
1: someone who's possibly sitting back right now wondering whether it's good enough time to speak to a builder about that initial consultation. Call me. <laughs> <laughs> Call Adrian. Uh, what would you say would be a couple of easy sort of back of the envelope ways to get an understanding of, look, if I already have the, the property, maybe it's my own home. Are there any ways to maybe estimate what those costs would be?
2: There is for me. I mean, so is, that's... Is it as
1: easy as going into the builder and just starting that conversation? Yeah,
2: or? it is. I mean, and that's the conversation we have. So we don't want to waste their time or our time. At the end of the day, it's about being open and it's about having good communication and working with people. And yeah, you know, that's what I try and set off. You know, it's not about trying to lock them in or or not tell them anything or try and hide figures because at the end of the day, you know, as we've discussed, it's a year and a half plus more that you're spending so it's a relationship yeah 100 it's not like i can quickly tell you that this is the best car you'll ever drive you drive around the block you sign it you drive out and i go too bad i don't have to see you again it, whatever i tell you i've got to back up because for the next year and a half we're still seeing each other and talking so it's not like i can turn it around so that's why you know we're pretty blunt and i'll be pretty blunt you know from the start and give you all the the hard facts because you might as well take the medicine when we first see you And then if you can cope with that, then from there we can make it more of a positive ride. Whereas, you know, if I'm trying to sell you this whole positive dream and tell you everything's wonderful, and then the whole time I'm on the back foot, that's just going to be painful for both of us. So I don't think either of us want that. So realistically, what we'll normally do is I'll sort of say to clients, look, give me your address. Let me have a look at it. Let me have a look at the issues to see where the concerns and the problems are. And then I can address them. And then I can come back to you with some ballparks. And exactly as we've been discussing on these podcasts, I'll give you a quick um, timeframes I'll give you basically ballpark costs of where I think you'll be at and then that way you can take that information you can mull it over you can see if that suits you and if that's going to work yeah
1: balance it off against the comparable revenues in the 100%. market right now
2: you know you can come see someone like yourself and get the, uh, the look to see if the bank's going to do it the deal see what the implications are how that's going to affect you that's a good point financing you know, that deal the, that's the key thing that's why
1: you get a lot of people that get a lot of the way through with you get the quotes ready to go and they've not spoken to their bank and then they go and speak to their bank and call you up a little bashfully and go, I'm really sorry, I'm, I, I can't even afford this. The bank won't even give me the money for this.
2: Look, I'm pretty lucky because we squished that straight from the start. So I mean, look, to be honest with you, the first conversation is I'll give them ballparks. And the reason I do that is because I say, now you have something that one, you can, understand you can see do you feel comfortable with sort of borrowing that money outlaying that money does it stack it up does for the you? bank feel comfortable and yeah and that's the key thing if you think it works for you go see the bank because then that's the key essence if they're not going to do anything and can't do anything then there's no point in pursuing we can't it help it it. Further. Yeah. exactly yeah. so that's why i will always say first step this is where roughly we think you're going to be around are you comfortable with that great whether you're comfortable or not doesn't matter. It's more the bank, but you've got to be, I guess, first comfortable with it to then approach the bank, start pursuing them and harassing them to see how to make it work. So once that's in place, then we go. So we're pretty lucky that, to be honest with you, when the market first turned with the banks turning, that was probably the biggest issue because people were so used to getting money and especially sort of the older clients that Turn around and say, "Look, I've got three, four properties. I've got a heap of equity. Money's not a problem, son. It's you know, don't worry about it." And you know, you're trying to tell them to suck eggs, saying, "Guys, I'm telling you now, yeah, go do it." Yep. Yeah, and I'd have to relate that I had a story where I had a wealthy client that's probably you know, equity-wise, 10 to 15 mil, but was retired, so he was just taking you know, 50 grand a year to sort of run. He didn't really need much, and he was just sort of sitting back. Went to need an extra mill to just cover off a um, a project we were going to do. Um, when I saw the bank, and said, "Look, just flick me an extra mill based on that." And they turned around and said, "No, you can't service it. Uh, yeah, equity. We don't. We're not interested anymore. It's serviceability because the government's making us liable. That you, if we lend you that money, whether you're worth that equity or not, if the market crashes and it's no longer worth that." You had no ability to ever pay it back, so then we're liable, so we're not going to take the risk. So as soon as the government made the banks liable, that's when the banks bailed out. Whereas before that, the client was liable. It was the client's responsibility. If you wanted to take that risk on, well, then you had to cop it. But they turned around and said, no, 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 the banks should be more responsible. Yeah, okay so there's give and take with that but that's also caused the issue with the market that they've turned around and probably backed off too much saying, yeah the well,
1: supply of credit panic. obviously has a big effect on the ability to do a development yeah we'll uh, have a chat in the next episode about really just building for investment how yeah. that might change between building to sell straight away versus building to rent and what the spec level really needs to be at different price points these days mm. uh, to attract that market whatever it is you're looking to do at the end of the, of the uh, development 100% thanks Adrian
2: thanks again for having me
1: Okay, suburb spotlight time. We are talking about the rather small but family-orientated suburb of Hammersley, nestled in between your careen's Warwick's area, uh, City of Stirling suburb, which is interesting on the development side. One agent to talk to. As always, it's our number one for the suburb. It's Ben Barber from Sprague and George. Ben, thanks very much for coming in. Uh, My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. If you can give me a sentence
0: to describe the lifestyle of Hammersley, what would it be? Uh, Families definitely predominantly families are living through the area and seem to be the buyers that we're seeing always seem to be families sort of coming through and looking to take advantage of the big blocks. Do you think that is
1: why the zoning of the area
0: reflects
1: really not
0: much opportunity for development yeah i think um city of sterling is trying to keep big blocks just to make hammersley and even Korean draw cards for those big blocks and i guess less development than your surrounding areas is, is is a good thing hammersley is a suburb
1: that is split straight down the middle in terms of demographic socioeconomically i should say yep can you explain that for us
0: yeah i mean if most buyers are Considered Hammersley to be in two parts. You've got the eastern side of Hammersley and the western side by Arendelle Road. Demographically, though, it's similar buyers, but some people do draw a line in only wanting to be the western side of Hammersley, even though the eastern side of Hammersley does have bigger homes and newer homes. Mm. So and
1: that's pretty evident in a lot of suburbs up the North Coast that the eastern side, in a lot of ways, less sought after, but actually it's a newer estate and the houses are a bit nicer.
0: Yeah, well, a lot of buyers come across and they ring me saying, oh, "I don't want to be west side of Hammersley," but then you show them a couple on the eastern side of Hammersley and they go, "Oh, wow." The designs are better. They're bigger rooms. Like you get built in robes, which a lot of the time you don't get in the 70s houses. Yep. So it actually. It sort of evens out a little bit that, yes, location wise, it's somewhat more sought after on the western side. And if you go to the eastern side, you actually get some bigger homes and newer homes and double garages and a few bits and pieces.
1: That's just a function of the fact that back in the day when the developers of the estate first started, they would have started on the west where they could probably get a few sales off a bit quicker and you're heading down the freeway. And it would have finished off in the east, which at the time would have possibly been the least desirable. Suburb, given location and access.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The, the first part of Hammersley was the, the Western Corridor, which was all late 60s, but mo- most of them early 70s. And then the parts east of Erendar Road started early 80s. Um, so you do get a lot of yeah, those 80s builds and therefore a bit more modern as far as what we consider nowadays to be open plan and, and whatnot.
1: I want to hear a bit of history. Give us Hammersley's history, a little bit of a fun fact.
0: The first lots were sold in Hammersley in, in 1968. There was an auction on Ardley Crescent where 76 lots were sold at an average of 4,700 per lot. And that was sort of the the initial creation of Hammersley as a suburb. Tell you what, a bit of price growth since then. Yeah, it's changed a little bit. Yeah, (laughs) as as you'd hope, I suppose, if you've sat on the property for for 45, 50 years. um,
1: That's not a bad investment. If you put an investment down in the late 60s, 50 years later, you'll have an investment that... Obviously, with a house on it, but it wouldn't have cost that much more for the house at that time either. Yeah, true. We were worth a hundred times the amount. Yeah, you'd be pretty happy with yourself. Yeah. If you, especially if you've got the patience to sit on it for that long as well. Yeah, yeah. I think if you had that locked in, that
0: wouldn't be too bad. Yeah, why not buy all seventy-six of them?
1: Well, if I had a five hundred thousand dollars house in Hammersley right now, I'd be yeah. pretty happy with it being worth fifty million dollars in, yeah. in fifty years from now. Oh, well, absolutely. Having said that, I live in Hammersley, so I might be holding on to mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they, as you said, they started off in the sixties, yep.
0: moved through into the seventies. Yep.
1: So explain again that. Seller, that is your main client.
0: So most of my sellers I seem to be coming across are the people looking to downsize. So the seven hundred and thirty square metre blocks are getting too much for them. So a lot of people looking for some smaller options. Were they Um, a lot of them the original owners? Yeah, come across quite a few of the people are original. Um, or at least people have been there for twenty years and they're just getting to that point now where they can't maintain the pool or the garden and just looking to get something that's smaller and get something It's easier to upkeep as well. And the buyers are really just their kids? Uh, yeah, yeah. a lot of people that did grow up in the area. There's a lot of people that grew up in sort of Ukraine and Craig and can't quite afford to get into those areas just yet. So using Hammersley as sort of a, I guess a, a bridge to get into those areas. But a lot of really well-educated, nice families coming back in the area, which, which is great. Uh, a lot of yeah, young families that are looking for that backyard for the kids.
1: Why would I move into Hammersley as a suburb instead of, say, a Warwick yep. or... Uh, a Kingsley or a Greenwood, those sort of
0: areas. Is it the proximity to the city that a lot of people are attracted to? Yeah, uh, well, Proximity to the city is, is a good one. But, um, I think the main reason is you can buy knowing that your neighbours aren't going to have the opportunity to bowl over and, and put three on. So a lot of people that are looking in Warwick have now sort of moved across to looking in Hammersley because they don't necessarily want the neighbours having the option of putting a triplex They on. don't
1: want the urban infill.
0: No, no. They want to make sure the big blocks are staying, at least for now. And then down the track, if things change, then they can sort of move from there.
1: To be frank, I don't see that happening anytime soon. I don't see Hammersley being pegged by the city of Stirling. They've got a lot of other things to worry about mm. uh, as a development suburb. Clearly, they've excluded Hammersley in their plans yep. up until now and Corrine for yep. those very reasons of family lifestyle. Yep. They're not zoned for not even a split into two unless you're on a corner block, which we can talk mm-hmm. about soon. Yeah. They're not even zoned for that. Clearly, there's an intentional policy made there that Hammersley is a family suburb
0: and should remain that way. Yep, absolutely. Hammersley and Corrine are obviously the, the suburbs they've chosen. And, I mean, it's prime location, so something will change eventually, but there's no talk about it at the moment. I'm happy, having lived in Hammersley growing up and then also now as an owner, the fact that my owners next door can't bowl over and put three. Yeah, of course. Uh, that lifestyle of that young family who come
1: in to buy, what are they enjoying about the Hammersley lifestyle in terms of schools? Explain the lifestyle of Hammersley yep. to someone who has never lived north of the river. Sure.
0: I think the, the drawcard of Hammersley's parks. There's parks everywhere. You can almost walk down any street, and there's families walking with the kids. Maybe not it's, this week. Maybe not this <laughs> week. No. 1.5 metres apart. They are, they are still going for strolls. So it's a big draw card knowing that you can sort of take the kids out for a walk and enjoy the area. Not much traffic. It's just people that live in that suburb sort of using the area, which I think is a big draw card. You've got Warwick Shops, which is close by, and then you'd still do to have that access to the freeway train station. Are as the kids well.
1: going to Corrine? Is that where most of the. Well, a lot High of people want to go to, to Corrine,
0: but that that's always subject to change. A lot of the kids do go to Glendale Primary School and East Hammersley Primary.
1: All right, price points. What are we paying? This is the thing. There's not many price points in Hammersley. They probably make a very similar income. Their yep. houses are worth pretty similar. Their houses are pretty similarly spec Yeah, a lot of the owners
0: are, are people that have come from similar backgrounds, but mm-hmm. the, the young guys as well, and a lot of teachers sort of buying back in the area, which is, which is good and your, your price point yeah you, at at 450 you'll need a fair bit of work on the western side of Hammersley you don't find them less than 460 I mean you can get renovated 4 by 2s for around the 600 mark for 600,000 you could
1: yep. be looking at Dun and
0: Corrine. yeah you can do yeah I mean obviously what you're getting at around the 600 mark has been extremely popular we've had especially the start of this year was probably the best I've seen it so I've had a, a number of corner sites come up and we've had a few people that are the young first home buyers that are looking to build something new and easy to maintain and I've also had people in Hammersley looking to downsize so they've been looking to grab these half blocks they can build you're still getting street front you're still getting a four by two with a double garage still a lot of of the old original uh, 70s duplexes i've got one for sale Uh, about five percent of hammersley are those duplexes that are still are still around and pretty popular when they do come up and then look to upsize to something what are they going for threes um a low 300s and then they sort of build up from your three by ones get towards your high 300s
1: subdivision opportunity again there's not a lot but it's the corner lot isn't it yeah it is yeah give us an example of what that looks like from start to finish
0: yep so your corner blocks they're extremely popular at the moment you get numerous interest numerous inquiries straight away which is great generally a person can apply through the wpc to subdivide that block and you you end up with two blocks around that sort of 370 do
1: you think people are mainly getting in there those people that are getting in there going look we'll buy it we'll knock it down we'll build our dream home on half it
0: depends on the price point a lot of the investors and developer side of things, they're looking to grab them as an investment and then sort of subdivide and see
1: Smarty pants, those guys. Yes,
0: yeah, so they've been through the process before. Yep. They're good at it and they know what the returns are going to be and how much the costs are going to be as well. Of so. course,
1: yeah. yeah. Median house, it's a pretty good yardstick for Perth, isn't
0: it? It is, yeah. So it's on par with, with most of Perth. I mean, your 520 is, is a good little price point, It's good little entry level, especially if it's 700 square meters, 15 minutes from the city, creates a good opportunity for buyers.
1: If you had $520,000 in your wallet today, Ben Barber, Yes. What would you be buying in Hammersley?
0: I, give us a straight. I would be buying, or give us a straight. Well, I live on Felstead Crescent. In my opinion, that's the most popular pocket of Hammersley and I'd, I would be purchasing there again, but it's struggle to find a property in that pocket for 520 unless it's a an older 3x1.
1: What's the best street you reckon you could get for 520 then?
0: You'd probably get one on Ardley Crescent, which was your initial startup street of Hammersley. There are some 3x1s that you can sort of get even renovated 3x1s and even maybe getting 32s for that 520. I've just recently sold a 4x1 which went for high 400s and that was on 850 square meters, so good sized block getting for high fours, you can use that extra 20 grand to do a kitchen and a bathroom.
1: Okay. Bonus question. Yep. Non really Hammersley related question, but just number one agent question. Yep. How has your experience of the market been this year, 2020? So if you can give us a bit of a storyline of how January... February, March, and now April has run for you sure. as an observer
0: and participant in the market. I found this year to be certainly my busiest year in my eight and a half years of real estate. Number of inquiries have been good. I've had 50 people through home opens again, which I hadn't seen for the three, four years before that. So starting of January, you'd sort of got, once we got past Christmas, inquiries sort of picked up and then coming February and March, buyers were sort of getting to that point where they're, they're hungry again and they're willing to compete for properties as well, which... hasn't happened for years has it no no for the last four years you sort of you've been looking for getting around the asking price if you get the asking price that's great but now i've been putting from on a property so it might be from 599 and the from is there because we're a chance of getting multiple offers and pushing above that and i make i'd rather make sure buyers are aware that the from's there because if we do get competition, they may need to compete with another buyer for it and therefore it might push slightly above.
1: And how's it been going the last couple of weeks? Obviously, we've seen a massive drop
0: off in transactions. Yep. Yeah. So numbers have certainly dropped down and a lot of owners have chosen to hold off selling their properties. We want to make sure that we get past the virus and what the outcome is. So they're a bit cautious about the uncertainty. But at the same time, we're going to see a shortage of listings as well. So whether that evens things out, and properties keep ticking over yet to be seen we'll we'll wait and see how we go are
1: buyers still calling
0: yes yeah still getting calls from buyers and still getting inquiries through realestate.com certainly not as much as what we were getting in that january February, March. yeah no absolutely not because i mean obviously some buyers would be impacted with with job loss and whatnot so they've had to go back to the drawing board but um still people inquiring and obviously as an agent we have to make sure we're qualifying buyers before we take them through because it is a lot more time consuming doing viewings by appointment. Yeah, one at a time. Yeah, so we have to make sure that we're not a time waste. So they are there to- Seriously consider a purchase. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And and that financially they can afford it as well. So we have to ask, unfortunately, harder questions that we would normally ask early, like what is your budget? And if their budget is well below the asking price of a property, and we know our owners won't consider that, then we need to sort of start thinking about is it worth wasting our owners' time and our time getting them through? And obviously wasting the buyer's time. If we know our owners at fixed at a certain point and they, they won't consider lower, there's no point in me taking a buy through that
1: problem. That's a stuck reality. It's a nice point you brought up there is that the sellers aren't compelled to sell for lowball prices just because we're in the middle of a pandemic. No. Uh, people seem to have this idea that the second something like this happens, suddenly a house that would have solved six weeks ago for Five hundred thousand dollars will now sell for four hundred thousand. Just because there might not be a buyer this week or next week or the week after at five hundred thousand doesn't mean the seller is compelled to sell
0: it to you for four hundred thousand dollars, mate. No, absolutely not. It just depends on the seller's circumstances. And in an area like Hammersley, where the person might have owned their house for ten or twenty years,
1: they're probably not on their knees.
0: No, no, absolutely not. And they probably have their mortgage paid off. Yeah, exactly right. And there's a lot of people that are looking to to upscale. So they might be looking to purchase in Korean or Duncraig. And if they go start assuming that the one in Korean or Duncraig is going to drop 100 and therefore this is going to drop 100, it just doesn't quite work that way. Yeah, exactly right. So a lot of people will sit if they need to. And we have open conversations with it and find out what their reason for selling is. And that's a big part of helping them through the process as well.
1: I guess my message to buyers out there right now, if you are still an active buyer, you're probably an ambitious buyer. You're probably looking to pull some of the dynamic back in your favor that's been pulling back to the seller's favor this year and that's fair enough but recognize that just because that we are in a pandemic, it probably means there's less competition. So you yep. can probably take a bit more time to make a decision, which is great. Yep. But it doesn't mean you're going to be getting 30 percent bargains for the sake of it.
0: No. And and talk to the agent about it as well, because we want to get sales through as well. Mm. So we're there to facilitate both the buyer and the seller. Yeah. So if you're thinking that you're going to be coming under the asking price, ask the agent, is it worth it? And if the owner needs to sell, the agent's going to be really honest with you about it. And therefore, it's going to make the process a fair bit easier for, yeah. both, for both parties, both the buyer and the seller.
1: Ben Barber, thank you very much for your time today and your experienced feedback to our listeners on both Hammersley and the market. I look forward to seeing, hopefully, Hammersley uh, having a good year
0: by the end of the year because it was primed for it. Yeah, it was, it was ready to go. And thanks very much for having me in. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show.